0: And so I learned while researching this book that John Quincy Adams was a man of great contradictions, a figure of unimpeachable integrity who gained power through a secretive and possibly corrupt bargain, a career diplomat and former president who found his greatest success as a member of Congress, and in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, John Quincy Adams, An American Life, I'll take a few questions,
1: yes? Why didn't John Quincy Adams go to his mother's funeral?
0: He feared that the deep and profound emotions stirred by the passing of his mother, Abigail Adams, might trigger an unseemly public display.
1: So was he scared that he'd look too sad or that his wife would look too happy?
0: The consensus among historians is the former, although it was possibly the latter. Are there any more questions?
2: Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, John Quincy Adams. What you are about to hear in this podcast is a mashup, partly sketch comedy in a radio comedy vein, and partially discussions about presidents and history and how that changes. The folks you'll be hearing are DB Comedy, a political sketch comedy company that's been working in Chicago since 2006. We're actors, writers, producers, and directors, along with actual real-life historians and experts in all things presidential. Thanks for downloading. Hope you like it. You're surprisingly enthusiastic for someone who, again, on the whole presidential timeline doesn't seem to have... Doesn't seem to have a whole lot of stuff other than because he's
3: Abigail Adams' he son. So of Abigail. course he
2: <laughs> And he had a complicated
4: relationship with his mother, Abigail Adams. <laughs> <laughs> she tried to li- He tried to live by the principles in which he. Which, he tried to live by the principles which she instilled in him, but he didn't like her very much.
3: He's wrong for that.
4: Well, he was wrong for that. But <laughs> she was kind of harsh on him. She grew up in. She grew up in the. She practiced the tough love school of parenting, I would say, wouldn't you?
3: It's a bit of a tiger mother maybe, yeah. like you know, she, before that term was in vogue.
4: In all over the world when he was a teenager. No, no. I
3: no. mean I think his I, I think his dad played a role in that, but but she he, thought
5: it would be good for him and well, his sure. development as a future statesman. And Just when saying. he was
4: <laughs> gone, she would, you know, write him all these letters talking about his dereliction from duty and how he had to be a better person. And he didn't go to her funeral. He said he was too busy.
3: I think he's wrong for that. I'm just going to throw that out. I mean, like, yeah, his his mother pushed him, but he's the son of John Adams and Abigail Adams, for God's sakes. Like, great things should come. You need to be pushed to do great things. Like, what, is George Bush not going to go to his mother's funeral because she pushed him? Like, come on.
4: Aw, oh, Barb. To make sure she was dead. that one, but.
2: Ooh. Do you think Junior and Eric are going to go to their dad's funeral?
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> They'll be like, free, finally, <laughs> finally, free. <laughs>
2: Who knows? They might be. They
4: might be the ones planning it right now. That's yeah,
2: <laughs> true. I hope so. It all depends on when people hear this podcast and what happens in the interim. <laughs> Ooh. Not that we're planning anything because we're not. We're not. Uh, <laughs> now the other Adams, ch- were, there were other Adams'
4: children aside from John. Oh yeah,
3: yeah there there were. were others. They didn't. Do-
4: Trivia question: When did John Quincy Adams' diplomatic career begin?
5: Oh, he, he was, was secretary. Yeah, he was secretary to his father in France. <laughs> Oh, okay.
4: And
2: we have a sketch about this. When was
4: his first (laughs) official? When was his first official diplomatic appointment?
3: Oh, it was like right after to the uh, Netherlands. Diplomat of Prussia when he was like fourteen. Yeah,
4: not Prussia, Russia. Ah, He was in. Dang. Yes, he was in. Which is
3: like ridiculous. I actually had to do the math when I first (laughs) read that. Right, the first time I read that, it was like, and then in like. 1891, John Quincy Adams becomes the secretary to the to the diplomat in Russia. And I was like, 1891? 1791. He? Sorry, of course, 1791. 1791, like, wasn't he only born... I think it was actually 1781, maybe. 1783. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But I was like, wasn't he only born, like... 10 years before that. And I looked up, yes, he was 14.
5: French. He
3: was a baby. Which I mean, international language, right? So you're fluent in French. You're, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're going to be good.
4: And he's serving in the palace of Catherine the Great. So cool.
3: Like really cool. Also, like those two people were alive and happening at the same time. So cool. History's awesome. I love guys. History.
4: And we've sufficiently plugged the sketch that yes, I wrote.
5: Did. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice. Panther
5: in
4: the Great trying to seduce John Quincy. Yes,
3: yes oh yeah, my sounds God. right. I can't wait to hear the sketch. That's amazing. Yeah, Paul's going
2: through with the whole, uh, basically Mike Nichols. So we started with a Virginia Wolf parody. Now we have a graduate parody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when the Silkwood parody comes. We'll get yeah, to a closer parody. A working course. girl parody. Anyway. Whee!
6: Oh, I guess this isn't the privy. Oh, no, Your Majesty. It's down the hall. Uh, these are my quarters. Uh, I mean no disrespect, Catherine the Great, but don't you know your way around your own palace?
7: It's a big palace, and I'm drunk. How are you, John Quincy? Oh,
6: f- fine, thank you. Um, Tsarina Regnant, I don't mean to be forward, but is stumbling into my room really a sly overture? Are you trying to be impertinent, young man? Well, on the contrary, Your Highness... Approaching a humble 14-year-old diplomatic aide like myself would be a clever way to hint that Russia will recognize American independence from Britain. That's why Minister Dana and I are in St. Petersburg, after all. Is there a snuff
7: box in here?
6: Oh, no, no. I, I'm not allowed to engage in vices like tobacco. Why
7: not? Is it a girl?
6: Yes. Uh, my mother, Abigail Adams, says it's a slovenly, disgusting habit that will degrade my already feeble moral character. All
7: right. You needn't play the whole symphony for me. Oh,
6: good heavens. Your mother sounds like a shrew. Oh, no, no, not at all, ma'am. My mother, Abigail Adams, is a virtuous, brilliant woman and a helpmate to my father. All right, all
7: right. Hurrah for her. May I ask you a question? What do you think of me?
6: What, What do you mean?
7: You've been translating my words for Minister Dana for several months now. You must have formed some opinion of me.
6: Well, I've always thought you were a very nice empress.
7: Have you heard any gossip that I'm a nymphomaniac? What? Yes, my enemies are spreading that rumor. No, what's a nymphomaniac? (laughs) Um, It's a term that scientists have coined for women who have, oh, uh, shall we say... Insatiable carnal appetites.
6: Uh, I think I need the privy now. Sit down, John Quincy. Uh, Serene Highness, if, if you don't mind my saying so, this conversation is getting a little strange. Uh, shall we alleviate the tension by reading the Bible in Latin? Here, have some vodka. Oh, no, Your Majesty. Alcohol is a scourge upon humanity. Before I was dispatched to St. Petersburg, I pledged to my mother, Abigail Adams, to not weaken in the face of temptation.
7: John Quincy. Must you always obey your mother, Abigail Adams? Is there nothing of the libertine in you? Are you never tempted to sample pleasures that would scandalize your mother? Abigail Adams, turning her pasty face scarlet?
6: Imperial Highness, you didn't uh, I mean I mean you didn't expect that to, you, you don't really think that I would do something like that. Like what? Catherine the Great, you you were trying to seduce me. (laughs) Uh, Aren't you?
7: No, I hadn't thought of it. feel rather flattered, though, that you
6: think— Catherine the Great, will you forgive me for what I just said? It is the worst thing I have ever said to anyone. I I think you are the most attractive of all the world's leaders, but but I don't think of you that way. It makes me sick that I said that to you. True, I'm but a youth of fourteen— but as an Adams, I am duty-bound to maintain my illustrious family's honor, and I despise the way I've disgraced them. When I think of how disappointed, nay, scandalized my mother, Abigail Adams, would be, I i wish I had a sword upon which to fall. John Quincy, will you loosen my corset? Well, of course. I can imagine it's quite confining. I beg your pardon? If you don't mind my saying so, you— You could use a bit of exercise. My mother, Abigail Adams, has taught me the importance of healthy daily habits, like walking and swimming. Uh, Catherine the Great, would you like to go swimming in the Gulf of Finland? Ah.
7: Thanks to you, you rude little bastard. Not only will Russia refuse to recognize America's independence, I promise we'll torment you for the next 200 years, if
6: not More. I'm I'm so sorry, Catherine the Great. Uh, I'm quite sure my mother, Abigail Adams, will be sorely disappointed in me. I'm quite sure
7: she won't.
2: So let's set the scene. We're getting to the end of the Monroe presidency. Everybody's chilling. Everybody's having fun. It's the
3: era of good feelings.
2: And his secretary of state guy that did a lot of work
3: air presumptive
2: guy that did a yeah it's true though John like in Quin- the
5: 19th early 19th century if you were a secretary of state
2: you were president that was the stepping stone like four yep. of
3: the like four of the first six presidents were secretary of state yep. before they were president
2: so everything is set with you know John Quincy Adams who's got the pedigree he's got the name he's got the he's, he's got the, the foreign, uh, he's foreign
3: policy his, experience his mother
5: yeah, Abigail that, that, Adams he's got the mutton chops is she still alive?
2: I don't know when she does. And and the table is set for just a nice, easy transition. And it doesn't quite happen.
3: Because of Henry Clay. I mean, it really wasn't. Andrew Jackson also fucked that up. Like, perhaps most.
2: And then there was the stroke of luck with Crawford. (laughs) Well, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we've
3: got our... The only guy you've not heard of. We've got our
2: (laughs) players, but we haven't really set up the game. Because there's an election... An election is supposed to happen. So, was it presumed at the start of the election that it was a f- that it was John Quincy's to lose or John Quincy's period?
3: Yeah, I mean, John Quincy Adams was very much the assumed heir to Monroe by the political establishment. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> The political establishments were not wasn't the only one who had a say.
2: Well who are the polit wait a minute, let's let's hold on a second. Whom is the political establishment?
5: Henry Clay.
2: (laughs) Was it really? (laughs) Not really. So were they buddies? Running the whole country. Were Clay and Adams buddies? What what
3: Clay Adams actually didn't really get along. Um, they hadn't gotten along very well when they um, no. uh, when they worked on the Treaty of Ghent together. Uh, fun fact: John Quincy Adams also did the Treaty of Ghent. <laughs> he was like the best foreign policy person ever. This is so before bad. he was Secretary of State, but still badass. Uh, and he and Henry Clay had a lot of like differences of opinion, so they actually didn't get along super well um, generally. But they respected one another um, and. So John Quincy Adams was absolutely the heir presumptive. Uh, but Henry Clay, being Henry Clay, like decided, you know, I should probably run for president. <laughs> I'm a shoo-in, right? Everyone loves me.
2: <laughs> so where does Crawford come in and when, does, when how does Jackson come in?
3: Well, I mean, Crawford decided to run, too, and he's a no-name, basically, to us today. <laughs> like, he doesn't matter. Like, he, he actually did better than Henry Clay in the election. Yeah, he but...
4: was third, even after he had a stroke. It
3: was like the John Stroger of the. It 18th was the Bernie century. Sanders thing. the.
4: The Woodrow Wilson. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but yeah, so he and then he decides to run, and then uh, Monroe uh, and, and and John Quincy Adams thinks this is fine, this is fine. Like Andrew Jackson and I get along pretty well. Like he he's going to support me, and this will be cool, and I'm going to have him be my my vice president, right? Like I like Andrew Jackson, I'll get him to be my VP. Then the Southerners will vote for me, and it's all good. And then Jackson's like, Nah, dude, I'm going to run for president too. <laughs> So there, there were you know four candidates suddenly running for president, um, which is fairly unprecedented by this point. Like there is not this many, especially when there's. Like,
2: and then if, only... if
3: anyone's counting, there's only one political party, but there are four <laughs> candidates.
2: So it was essentially a massive primary. Only the election itself was held in November.
3: Yes. It was a massive primary that was, in fact, the general election.
2: Was it the same sort of thing that we see in some modern elections where most of the candidates actually are pretty mu- have pretty much the same platform, have pretty much the same political views, but you just have to differentiate them through negative campaigning or sniping personally or stuff like that?
3: I mean, other than Andrew Jackson, yes. Uh, Andrew Jackson was definitely a bit of an outlier there, but with his hatred of the Second Bank of the United States and his really strong policies um, about war, being a war hero, and uh, technically. So he he was out of
2: the military by that point, right? Yes, Yes. yes.
3: Um, so he, but he was riding on his his military pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was he was definitely the outlier here, uh, very much so. But the other three candidates, it was very much like we see in political primaries today is they substantially there wasn't that much difference in their policy. What? It was
5: more of a regional difference, if Absolutely. anything, right? I mean, John Quincy Adams is really pulling that Northeastern vote. Clay is that, again, that like Kentucky, Tennessee, like that mid-Southern vote, and Crawford is just Crawford. cuz he having a stroke?
2: Could there have been any, um, I guess you would say, sort of political or uh, party, you know, uh, party seniors, shall we say, or, you know, uh, people who ran the party that could have come in and, you know, found a proverbial back room to smoke in and then go, all right, you know, you're, you're, you're going to run in four years. You sit down. You're just going to take one for the team. I
5: think the problem is with that scenario is those people are John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay. Right? The two people who are running against each other. So they're other. smoking
2: in each other's faces. And, uh, <laughs> right. Okay, I mean,
5: especially John Quincy Adams, right? John Quincy Adams is the presumptive winner of this election because of, again, everything that Laura was saying, his pedigree, everything that... Uh, I that think we all are. have been talking about it, right? His pedigree, his uh, experience. experience, not just foreign policy experience, like he also served in the legislature, right?
2: The reason I pushed this just besides being just a political
5: junkie.
2: Political election night junkie, and of course, having experienced all sorts of insanity in various uh, electri- election nights, this term corrupt bargain. <laughs> now granted, it was like it was created by Jackson. But if what you're telling, if you're what laying out is what you're laying out is correct, I suspect that using the Electoral College, there were more East Coast votes than Southern votes. Is that right? Uh,
5: yeah. I mean, okay. if you look at the regional breakdown, uh, it's actually split regionally three ways, which I think is super interesting. It's mm-hmm. between the Northeast, specifically, mm-hmm. the South, and probably the nascent. Midwest,
2: which in those which at days the time was, was the West, right?
5: Right. So Clay uh, wins Ohio, Kentucky, and Missouri, right? So that interesting, I, super interesting.
2: So Clay Clay won his home state, right?
5: Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah. John Quincy Adams won geographically a very, a very small, small part, part, of, part of, the of the country, but where a, a lot of people lived, where rich. a lot of people lived, yep.
2: exactly.
4: I mean, New York. I mean, did he won New York? I'm assuming yes. New York was just beginning to assert.
2: New York was the California of the day. Oh yeah, I, I I'm looking at the breakdown
5: right now. It's just super interesting. So New York has 26 electoral votes and Pennsylvania, which Jackson won has 28. that those are the two states with the most.
2: Mm, okay so basically we're sort of setting the table for so we're basically just kind of setting up the approach to the electoral college. Was the presumption that Quincy Adams was going to win, or was the presumption that Jackson was somehow going to win?
3: I mean, the political establishment wanted John Quincy Adams to win. And once you... I mean, it didn't work, right? The, The election... Didn't have a result. Even the Electoral College didn't have a result. So that meant that they pushed the election over to the political elite, right? The House had to decide who the president was going to be. And in that circumstance, it becomes pretty clear that John Quincy Adams is going to win. Would would
2: Jackson have known that from the jump?
3: he probably could have surmised it. Okay. And he hated it. I mean, John Quincy or I'm sorry, Jackson hated the electoral college before the election of 1824. <laughs> so, this is not helping the situation, right? He wins the popular vote, he wins more of the electoral college. Vote, it's true. Um, mm-hmm. but he doesn't win a majority. So it ends up going to the house and he doesn't have power there.
2: So he didn't even try. He's an outsider
3: there. I mean, he you know, he was hoping to win. Sure, but A, John Quincy Adams is an insider, and then B, he works with the other political insider to then make it a sure thing. So even though Henry Clay gets third place in the popular vote, he actually got fourth place, womp womp, Hmm. in the electoral college. So he's out of the running entirely. The House is trying to decide between the top three candidates, Jackson, John Quincy Adams, and Crawford, who literally just had a stroke and doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one's going to vote for him. So really, he just had a really they
2: bring someone named Bernie and just kind of start throwing up <laughs> Wait, his body. I, and...
5: I really do. I really do want to point out, though, because I think this is super fascinating. There are three states that throw their electoral votes in the House to Crawford.
3: <laughs> four, four, actually.
4: Who was Crawford's vice three. presidential candidate? Did you have a? Did you have president's vice presidential?
3: Not, not yet. Time? No.
2: Because remember, it was Secretary of State that the that everybody really wanted. Right.
3: Oh, oh, you're happens. right. Four. Yeah. It's you're not right.
2: till you start having presidents die <laughs> that vice presidents suddenly have some importance. That's right. I mean, vice deal. vice
3: presidents are no longer like the first loser because they realize that didn't work out really well. Thanks, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, <laughs> but it's still not like this clear ticket kind of situation.
2: So let me put it to you this way: then once the deal is made.
3: Right, so, yeah, to, so, so to be clear here, because I'm not sure we quite, it, quite spelled Under, it out, yeah. um, you know, John Quincy Adams goes up to Henry Clay and says, his, hey, buddy. Yeah, his political <laughs> insider friend. Right, like, we don't really get along personally in, in some ways, but we have very similar beliefs politically. And I'm not Andrew Jackson. And Yeah, basically, <laughs> and I'm not Andrew Jackson, who Henry Clay did not have similar political beliefs with. Okay, Henry Clay basically wanted anybody but Andrew Jackson to be president.
5: And the best part to me about this, this, this bargain, the way that clay throws the election is Kentucky asked clay to throw his vote to Jackson. And he's like, nah, yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) nah, I'm good. Jackson ends up calling this a corrupt bargain because he says clay sells his votes so he can be secretary of state, which like he does get to be secretary of state. He would probably have given John Quincy Adams his votes regardless of the secretary of state position, to be quite honest, because he hated Andrew Jackson. He thought he was a (laughs) douchebag. Which he was. Which he was.
8: (laughs) So I just want to say before you meet the principal that I'm very proud of how mature you've all been in deciding how to ask her about what drink should be brought back for lunch in the cafeteria.
6: Thank you, Miss Sandy.
8: <laughs> I love teaching civics and seeing students apply the principles of listening, taking votes, building consensus, and then using that consensus properly. It was kind of tricky. Some people liked chocolate milk, others wanted grape juice, a couple people
9: wanted lemonade, and one weirdo wanted almond soy milk. Ugh.
6: That's right, Sally. We know what we're going to say to Principal Crawford, and we will resolve the issue today.
9: Yep. Grape juice, just like Patrick says.
1: Yeah. Right, Clay? Sure, grape juice.
8: Very good. Let me bring Principal Crawford in.
6: Are you sure grape juice was in the majority?
9: No single drink got 50%, but grape juice was the top vote-getter. Chocolate milk was second.
1: It was. I checked with everyone. Well, you are the most popular kid in class, Clay. Well, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't.
9: It has nothing to do with what we like.
1: You like grape juice.
9: I like chocolate milk, too, but milk makes me break into a rash and my lips swell up.
1: It's not her fault, Patrick. Thanks, Clay. My friends are okay with grape juice instead of lemonade or chocolate milk.
6: I guess we'll just have to wait until next year for chocolate milk.
9: That's the democratic spirit.
1: They're coming. Good Good morning, Principal Crawford.
9: Good
7: morning. Happy to see everyone.
9: Thank you, Principal Crawford.
6: Good morning. Thank you for seeing us again, Principal Crawford.
9: I'm
8: happy to come back. Seeing us again? Principal Crawford, as you know, our class had a discussion about what new drinks should be served for lunch this year.
7: I do, and I think the decision-making process that your class went through was a fine example of how people can work together to make a decision for the benefit of everyone. I like to think of it as democracy in action.
1: Thank you, Principal Crawford. Yes, thank you.
7: What's going
9: on here?
6: Well, we are here to confirm our decision like we did yesterday when my colleague Clay and me came to you. What? I mean Clay and I, sorry. Sorry. Sally, you two met with the principal yesterday?
1: Well, you know, sometimes you get a chance to talk to people and you gotta do it.
7: So I'm happy to come here and agree with you all that starting today, chocolate milk will be served in the cafeteria this year.
6: Thank you, Principal Crawford.
9: This is not what we agreed to. Sally, please. This is not the agreement. The class wants grape juice. We agreed that the class wants grape juice. We agreed we would tell the pr- pr- tell Principal Crawford that most of the class wants grape juice, not chocolate milk.
7: It's my understanding is that your classmates actually agreed that the class wanted
8: chocolate milk and chocolate soy milk.
1: Which I appreciate since I can't drink cow milk. <gasps>
8: Okay, then. It looks like the majority decision is chocolate milk.
1: Yes, Miss Sandy.
8: (laughs) You'll see both at
7: lunch today. Thank you, Principal Crawford. You keep up the good work. It's so much better to talk and come to an agreement than to do anything dirty or mean or to do something because you want to do it. This is how we can all make a difference in the world.
8: Have a good class.
6: Thank you, Principal Crawford.
8: Sally.
9: Thank you, Principal Crawford.
8: Let me take you back to your office. So what do you think is going to happen at this year's presidential speech contest? Oh, hopefully it'll be calmer than last year. Yeah, I
1: do too. Mm. Well, you know, chocolate soy milk is for weirdos. Maybe you should try some and you wouldn't look like a fish.
9: Well, you know, maybe you don't need any hair either. I, ow,
1: ow. That's really immature,
6: Sally. You
9: stabbed me in the No, you were the one to get this paste-drinking weirdo to cut the deal, Patrick. I just like
1: chocolate milk. Soy milk does not. Ow, ow. The rest of the class is going to be pissed. The rest of the class likes me more. Well, you know, there may be another election
6: next year. You can get your precious grape juice then. My scalp is bleeding.
8: You let go of Clay's hair right now, Sally. Oh. I'm afraid we may need to make another trip to the principal's office. Come with me, young lady.
9: You don't understand. The class doesn't want chocolate milk. They want...
8: The decision had been made, and sometimes we just have to live with that decision. We don't pull people's hair over decisions that don't go the way we want to.
9: That's not fair.
8: Sometimes politics aren't fair. That's just a lesson you're about to learn. Let's go.
1: Say hi to the principal.
8: I will be your worst nightmare this
9: year.
1: Not if you drink any milk.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Now, young lady...
1: You didn't tell me she'd freak out like that.
6: Yeah, you got your chocolate paste for this year. You owe me, Clay.
1: Well, you know, I'll remember. I'll remember.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, so the deal is made. Quincy Adams becomes president. Is Quincy Adams at least aware enough to realize this is going to make my job much harder?
3: I mean, this immediately ends the era of good feelings. I would think so. <laughs> that sounds like it would, yes.
4: Also, right. no, John Quincy Adams was not a man, foolish, foolishly or, you know, unfoolishly, he was not a man driven by his political passions. He thought if a public servant was an effective public servant, they should keep their job, despite the fact that they spent their time out of you know outside their office conspiring against John Quincy Adams. He nurtured a lot of vipers in his administration.
3: Yeah and unlike his father, he wasn't very vindictive if you like crossed him. <laughs> one of John, John Adams' bad qualities but the only one the o- I mean the only one. Um, but yeah, so John Quincy Adams he you know he keeps most of Monroe's cabinet, not all of which actually really liked him. So, like, that's maybe not the best call. We said this immediately ends the era of good feelings. The Democratic-Republican Party, which at the time was the only party in town, completely disintegrates. And we get the Democratic Party and then the National Republicans. They're not the Democrats and the Republicans that we know today. They just have the same names. It's very
4: confusing. And the National Republicans, they would eventually morph into the Whigs.
3: Whigs.
4: Yes.
3: (laughs) Sorry, I like the Whig Party. (laughs) So what sort
2: of things again, when you read the history, you hear that Jackson did all sorts of things to try to undercut John Quincy Adams. L- any examples? Oh are we
5: talking about Jackson now? I want to talk no, no, about, no, no. I want to talk about all of the things that John Quincy Adams
2: did yeah, we're talking about John Quin- well let, well let's <laughs> w- well um, by our, way
5: of Jackson,
2: let's well we'll sort of well Public what you, tried to
3: do and then So in other
2: words it sounds like Quincy Adams was able to get some things done while Jackson was doing whatever he was going to do, getting to the election of uh, 1828. um,
4: Using free publicity from the postmaster general appointed by John Quincy Adams (laughs) to undermine John Quincy Adams. For such a smart man, John Quincy Adams could be
2: quite a fool. Oh, yeah. Or just very naive.
3: I I think he was much, like we said about his father, really idealistic. So he had these oh, ideals so much. of what a statesman should be. He had these ideals of what the republic, uh, the should, republic be. should be and what politics and government should be and what respectable men in politics and government should be. Well,
2: he sort of. And
3: Andrew did, Jackson, like, didn't give a shit about any well, of well, I'm sort
2: of I'm jump, sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, John Quincy Adams actually becomes one of the, maybe the first great X presidents by going back to Congress and fighting for abolition and uh, a lot of, and, you know, and, and, and finding a certain amount of contentment doing that, strangely enough. I
3: mean, one of the tragedies I feel like of JQA, uh, as I affectionately call him, is that (laughs) he was so much better at not being president. Like much like, much like Jimmy
10: Carter. Doing again, Quincy? Oh,
6: uh, leave me alone, woman. Don't woman me. Oh, I'm sorry, Louisa, I just...
10: And don't come I am sorrying me again either. Go take a walk, why don't you?
6: I walked five miles and I and I swam another two and I'm, I'm still in a state.
10: You've been in a state for a year and a half. Well,
6: you try having an election stolen from you after having been stopped from doing anything for four years by a thief.
10: Thief? You do realize Mr. Jackson thinks you stole the election from him, don't you? Well,
6: he was the one who was pissy towards Clay, and he opened up the door and... And
10: made it look like you stole the election from him. Corrupt bargain or not. Louisa,
6: the things he said about you last year, and you're defending him?
10: I don't give a damn what Andrew Jackson says about me. Politics is a dirty business, and that's all there is to it. Your parents taught me that.
6: Now my parents...
10: If this is the way you feel about being in politics, why did you choose to go into the profession? You can stew in your own bitterness somewhere away from me.
6: Louisa, I just... I don't...
11: I just... Shit. Abigail Adams! I I mean, mother! If you woman me, dear boy... I, I am a man. Hardly. You will always be my son. However...
6: I I know. And I know she's correct, too. Politics is a dirty
11: business. So dirty. I have to agree with that woman you married. Don't
6: go on about Louisa that way, Mother.
11: Grow up already. Why do you take your politics so personally? How couldn't you? How couldn't Father? You have your father's sensitivity he was a mess after Jefferson beat him.
6: Jackson is a madman. Why, why didn't the voters of this country see that?
11: I suspect they did, and that's why he won. But I'm clearly saner than he'll ever be. Also, let us be honest. You were not such a good president. Mother! It is true. Why, why must you defend that madman, that monster, over your own son? Ow! Citizens will sometimes vote for horrible leaders. That is inevitable. That's why your father and his friends put this country together the way they did. To withstand such decisions and keep them to a precious few. Can it withstand
6: such a racist,
11: populist blowhard? Not if all you do is sit at home crying about every slight that comes with an earshot and yell at ghosts in your own righteousness. Even your wife doesn't deserve that. It drives you to the same sort of madness as the people you hate. It is, in the end, unproductive.
6: Must you preach so?
11: I am whatever is in your head. And you do seem to have a flair for the dramatic. You got that from your father.
6: And what do you suggest I do?
11: My message to you is do something or shut up.
6: Well, thank you for that so I can keep you from haunting me, I shall
11: do something. Don't do it for me. Do it for yourself. And not to be quaint, but do it for your country. After all, that is why the Founding Fathers did what they did. With guidance and prodding by ladies like me. I will say, you and
6: Father always looked after one another.
11: Your father was a dear. As your Louisa is to you. Do not squander that, John Quincy Adams. If she is the best you can
10: do. (sighs) Have you finished your musings?
6: Louisa, I have been thinking. Have you? I cannot change what history did, but I can do something... ...to at least keep from yelling at you and rousing the spirits.
10: I do hope so, dearest Quincy. I just ran into some townspeople. They still seem to like you. They believe you would be a fine member of Congress for the district.
6: (laughs) From the president of the nation to a member of the legislature.
10: Why not? Consider how much of a thorn in the side it would be... ...for President Jackson to have to deal with you all the days he is in the White House.
6: That would bring me some satisfaction...
10: Plus, you do love to have your swims in the clear and clean waters of the Potomac River. You should consider it.
6: I shall. Huh. Louisa, what would I do without you to counsel me?
10: More stubborn ravings like what you did this morning and you will find out.
6: <laughs> May that day never come.
10: <laughs> I wish she could at least throw decent
11: parties. Mother! Mother! They had
3: a daughter who died of breast cancer, very famously in the uh, Nabby. in the HBO uh, John Adams miniseries. Very tragic.
2: Oh, uh, but uh, Quincy had many children,
3: right? Eventually. Uh, Quincy had several children. Um, Also, I actually love his story of him and his wife because I feel like he really learned from his parents' marriage and how much they loved one another. So yeah, he actually had a love match too, which I just think is adorable because that's like not very usual at that time. But it was
4: a love match for John Quincy, but not for Abigail. Abigail.
3: Well, Louisa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she. She. Well, she was American, but her. Fa- she had been raised in in, in England. Yeah, okay. um, her father was a merchant, and so she'd been raised in in England. And neither John Adams nor Abigail Adams were really in favor of this match. <laughs> but John Quincy Adams, was like whatever, I love this girl. I'm going to marry her, and he did. So
11: raised
7: in England or born in England, because she's always cited as. um. The first non-American first lady to to marry a president, but not be an American.
3: Uh, well, her father was an American, so I guess I'm not really sure how nationality distinctions worked in, in the nineteenth century. century. I mean, everyone born born was British.
4: Revolution though, was she born before before she could been taken abroad before she
2: claimed U.S. citizenship?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't know her date. Of and her. We, we and there was. I mean, still, she may have been born in the UK. And we still have the um, old
2: "we fought wars against these people" thing.
3: Yep. Yeah. I mean she may very well have been born in the UK, I'm not entirely sure of that. But they did they did meet in England. She had lived, you know, essentially her entire life. If not her entire life, I'm not entirely sure of that. In, in Britain, she was definitely very British. <laughs> she was definitely very British. And uh, yeah, John Qu- John Adams and Abigail Adams were not in favor of this match. And John Quincy Adams says, meh, whatever, I'm going to marry her anyway. And then the best part is he didn't even get her dowry. His Her father absconded back to the United States to like get away from his creditors in England and didn't even give John Quincy Adams the dowry he was supposed to get. And he literally wrote in his diary, which he kept like for his whole life, Meh, I don't regret it. Like, I'm still happy that I married her.
4: Did he really say meh? Did he, did yeah. he <laughs> yeah, that's like an exact
3: quote. I've read I've read the diary. No, I mean no, not an exact quote. But he you know, he said, like, I don't regret it I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. Like, even though I didn't get the dowry that I was supposed to get, and even though my parents didn't approve, um Love. Like, I love her and I'm gonna marry her and she's awesome.
4: So John Quincy Adams, he did not he did not struck long upon the presidential stage.
3: Oh, much, think, much like his father only one term. I think
4: it's pretty fair to say though that his career as you know his career in American politics and his you know role in American history, it lasts from 1783 until the very moment of his death.
3: This is the best.
5: Uh, I, Laura knows that I love this story uh, and that I think about it <laughs> way too often. Uh so John Quincy Adams, uh, once he uh loses or once his term is over, uh, in eighteen twenty eight, he uh thinks that he's going to retire to a peaceful life, to his farm and his books, and instead gets unexpectedly elected to the House of Representatives from Massachusetts.
11: Oops. <laughs> oh
3: no.
5: <laughs> so uh it ends up serving very distinguishedly in the House until 1830, which I feel
3: like has to be like an awkward situation, right? Like for the other people. First of all, you're not even in the Senate; <laughs> you're just in the House. Yeah, and then, but then to everyone else, like you're the former president, but you're just it's a major like demotion. Another representative, especially like, I feel with like the that guy who be beat you situation. the
2: way he beat you, being yeah, the essentially the pre- yeah, being the president.
3: Yeah. Was John Quincy
7: a better congressman than he was a president?
5: He was a better everything than he was, a, than better he was everything. a president.
3: He was a better diplomat. He was a better legislator. He was a better Secretary of State. Right. Um John Quincy Adams, yeah, was awesome at everything he did, kind of except being at being president. I, um and it wasn't really his fault. Like he couldn't get anything done. Andrew Jackson and his political uh cronies basically tried to stop. Every single thing John Quincy Adams wanted to do. I mean, he wanted to continue the the Americanization of the country. He wanted to continue um, creating more roads and connecting these rural areas, which you would think, right, that a Southerner like Jackson would be in favor of. But because it was John Quincy Adams trying to do it.
5: And because it was originally Henry Clay's idea, right? This is Henry Clay's American system under see. John Quincy Adams. So Jackson's really opposed to it.
3: Two people that he hates. Mm.
7: Uh, I so will they say, tried to Obama him is
5: what you're saying.
3: Uh, Ooh. Basically, like he couldn't get anything done because he didn't have control of the rest of the government. And so Jackson and his friends said, okay, well, good luck getting anything done. But yeah, so as Chelsea was saying though, John Quincy Adams actually had a, a very illustrious career uh, as a legislator after he was president.
4: That's when he gained the. That's when he gained the name, Old
3: Man Eloquent.
5: Yep, that's a great. That's a one of probably one of the best nicknames we'll hear all podcast.
3: Um, and yeah, I mean, he took very strong stances against slavery. He took a strong stance against. Uh, the Spanish-American War.
4: Yeah, the Mexican-American War. He was violently opposed to that. Yeah, Spanish-American Spanish War. Spanish Wars later. Yeah, there we go. He didn't last quite long enough for the Spanish-American <laughs>
3: War,
4: but he probably opposed
3: that. He would have opposed that one, too. Um, but, yeah, so he, he was fantastic, you know, afterwards as a legislator. And the best thing of all,
5: literally on the floor of the house has a stroke and dies. Well, he actually dies two days later, but... Essentially dies. Essentially dies on the House floor. And now, to this day, every time that I hear of someone who expires doing their job, I'm like, damn, they JQA'd it. I know it's a really uh, indelicate thing, but I always think of John Quincy Adams.
2: Very romantic historian thing. So his
4: presidency began with a stroke and his congressional career ended with one. Ouch. Burn. Burn.
3: So anyway, back. Um, but yeah, that's 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 I think the tragedy of John Quincy Adams is that he is fantastic as a diplomat. He's a fantastic Secretary of State. He's kind of like an okay president, and then he's like an awesome representative fighting to end slavery and and you know, make America better.
2: Could he have been a great president had Andrew Jackson not been around?
3: I actually this is one of my
5: To me, John Quincy Adams is such a tragic figure as president because he he was raised in this political, this way of doing politics that his that came from his father and from his father's generation. So even though he's not necessarily a part of what we like to think of as the founding generation or the revolutionary generation, that's what he was raised in. And so he was
4: the standard bearer of that sort of politics, that spirit of yeah. public service.
5: Right. And and so he becomes president at a t- at a really difficult transition time for the country and has to serve as president during a a, a this this hard shift in what am I trying like the like the popular vote and I, basically populism, populism right? Yeah. Coming into uh, electoral politics, right? Like once you grant uh, universal white manhood suffrage, like so universal, so <laughs> universal. That's why I said white man suffrage. Were there still uh, property
4: restrictions in certain states on enfranchisement?
5: Uh, once they pass universal suffrage for white men,
4: no. And when was that?
5: 1820. I think it's Jackson. I think it's right before Jackson's the the election of Jackson, 1828.
2: Interesting. So, mm. and we're actually this is actually going to be a nice little rest spot as we transition to Andrew Jackson. Again, so John Quincy Adams. Oh, if we oh if he weren't president, but he was, <laughs> and that leads us to again away from the era of good feelings and into. The beginning of sort of maybe in some ways sort of the again just a, what you want to talk about transition like trans like oh. a huge transition like a
5: major shift yeah uh major cultural and political Washington shift is rolling over
3: in his grave at this political shift
2: db comedy presents the electables this episode's sketches were written and produced by gina bucola sandy Bakowski. Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Jouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Bucola, Sandy Vykowski, Danielle Durbin, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Jouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy Donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's website, DB ComedyChicago.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading.